My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Fourth Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, as always, I am joined by Cade Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. I'm also joined by Brandon Katz, who you could find, I, I love saying this, analyzing analytics over at, <laughs> over at Great Barrett. title. Great title. <laughs> because, dude, when it came to math, I was like, I was like, oh, dude, I've got this shit on lock. And then once it got to Algebra 2, I think in 11th grade, I was like, what the fuck Listen, is going on? I am horrible at math. I was in dumb math in high school. Luckily, my, my job involves some math, but it's more so just like looking at trends and patterns and like synthesizing that into like a narrative. So not unlike what we already did in, as reporters. Well, you might as well be Stephen fucking <laughs> my ass because it's it's... Chinese, as far as I'm concerned. So you could find Brandon doing his thing over at Parrot Analytics. Uh, today, we've got a packed show. We are talking some news for the first time in a while. It's been kind of a slow year so far, but we've got our first real deluge of news, I think. A little bit of Creed 3, some Oscar predictions, and then The Last of Us Episode 8, <laughs> the penultimate episode of Season 1, which actually, hearing myself talk out loud right now, I actually feel like they've kind of rushed it. Um, but I guess we'll get to that. And then tomorrow, we're going to be recording our Mandalorian podcast. And then, so there will be two shows. There's going to be the one that you're hearing right now that we're talking Oscars and The Last of Us, Episode 8. And then tomorrow's show is going to be Mando. And then I talk to Andy Serkis for a fat, solid, girthy 25 minutes. (laughs) One of my favorite. So I think of like the Nick Cage, the Deadpool writers as like two of my best. I think that this one is up there. So stay tuned for Ooh, that. Let's go. Yeah, this guy, I mean, dude, he's fucking cutting checks, as I put it on Twitter. I uh, started off, I said, you know, how I start all things. I'm like, folks, today I am joined by blah, 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 who you know from blah, blah, blah. And so for him, I said, folks, today I am joined by Andy Circus, an actor you know from every film ever made. <laughs> yeah, he's King Kong. He's everything. Yeah. <laughs> and Caesar and Gollum yeah. and Alfred, which I realized as I spoke to him, the last two actors to play that role before him are Academy Award winners. So wow. Yeah. Give this I mean, he should have been nominated for for Gollum for as like a fr- yeah. or Caesar as like a this is a totality franchise career type of yeah. you know honor. So stay tuned for that tomorrow. Right now, as I said, we're talking about bit of news oscars and last of us so let's start with some news not really surprising kathleen kennedy and kevin foggy star wars films are dead at lucasfilm i want to start with b here because b has adopted the i don't want to hear a goddamn word about a single one of these films until production starts day one so like then i think i saw a tweet from our buddy at big screen leaks who made a good point like kathleen her reign has been financially successful with those films and shows But the fact that it is, they've greenlit, like, I think he said seven or nine films. I'm not sure the exact tweet. And all of them have been axed, which is not necessarily a good thing. So what do you think that this means for Star Wars at large, B? So it doesn't hit me as hard because I had heard a few weeks ago that this was the case and that the one moving forward was in all likelihood Damon Lindelof's. I understand that the report today said like, well, you know, Taika's is still kind of in development and everything. But as of right now, from what I've been told, very much expected Damon Lindelof's film to be the 2025 one that gets released. Uh, you know, listen, I, I, my frustration uh, has been pretty well documented over the last 
couple of years. You know, I, I'm a Kathleen Kennedy fan overall in the terms of like, she is an, a phenomenal producer. She she has done a, a good job delivering commercial successes to Lucasfilm in the Disney era. But at a certain point, either A, stop the leaks and stop the public announcements so fans don't get invested and or their hopes up and or and or (laughs) either that keep a tight 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 lid on it so you can very much control the narrative or stop making mistakes and find someone who who can kind of run lucasfilm in terms of development in a bit smoother way because it's pretty frustrating at this point particularly when a lot of these projects have been exciting from the outside looking in so uh, I, I think, of course, if they deliver a knockout Star Wars film in 2025, a lot is forgiven. But it's 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 a bit odd that Star Wars went from the greatest, most revered American blockbuster film franchise to a TV franchise that is waiting to deliver a few more films. Now, Cade, before we swing to you, B, what do you think explains this? This sort of stop and start, swing and miss the rise of Skywalker was bad, and I understand their sort of internal desire to reset, but the way in which they have either they're being too liberal with how quickly they announce projects, uh, that would be my guess. But what do you think explains this sort of now pattern of announcing things that are, it's a Fugazi, it's a Fugazi, it's... <laughs> Angel dust. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can point directly to Taika Waititi. Uh, When I interviewed him in 2018 or 2019, can't remember. I think it was 2017 or 2018. uh, I interviewed him at South by Southwest and I asked him about the episode he was directing for The Mandalorian. And it kind of springboarded to a larger conversation where I asked him, who is more... Controlling is not the right word, but protective of their IP, Star Wars or Marvel. And he said without a doubt, like no questions asked. It's it's Star Wars. You know, everything has to be checklisted with them. So I think that tight control, while I understand because they have 40 years of history, because they have such a deep reservoir of myth- established mythology and expanded universe non-canon mythology, that they're trying to, you know, sew together the right elements and the right combination so carefully. But I think if you just... Let go a little bit. Let really creative people with a great vision kind of drive forward in, in, a, in a way that doesn't impact maybe like the main Skywalker saga. That's a way to really move forward in a less stressful, less pressure filled environment. I think the lack of doing so has hamstrung them a bit. And as we've seen with Mando, they seem to just like circling the same Skywalker saga drain over and over. And that has been restrictive. It's very interesting. Last night, just for no reason, I popped on the uh, Force Awakens documentary that they had on the Blu-ray. And because it's like, here's like day one, we acquired Star Wars. We're making a new movie. And uh, it was funny because they uh, they have a video of Kathy, Kathy Kennedy uh, in a board of directors meeting announcing J.J. Abrams as the director of Force Awakens to the internal company. This wasn't a public thing. And she was like, but word has already reached the press that he's going to be the director. So like it, it, this was already a thing back in 2013 where they couldn't keep their shit on lock. And like, she's like, as of an hour ago, JJ Abrams has signed on and she's like, and the press already knows. And so this has been a long running thing. I don't know who's at fault for that or what, but um, yeah, it's, it's like, it probably wouldn't be that much of a problem 
if we didn't know, you know, like if it was just at a point where um, they were quietly developing their movies and we weren't constantly hearing about like, oh, shit's like falling apart at the seams constantly and nothing is getting off the ground. But um, I don't understand. Like, it also feels like they're afraid to take risks. So if someone does come up with a risky project, they're just like, we got to scrap it. We just got That's gotta... it. Okay, that is it. I, I think, think it is. I, I, I think that that is like <clears throat> the heart of it is that I'm someone who thinks like 66% of those films are good. You know what I mean? Sure. I think, uh, you know, I think that the only true diabolical one was the last one. But I also I'll think... still say in a vacuum, if Rise of Skywalker no, was any whatever other. Whatever you're going to say. I'm going to stop you right there. But <laughs> if, if, if Rise of Skywalker was any other like sci-fi film that wasn't Star Wars in a vacuum, it's it's a decent enough swashbuckling space action comedy as the grand conclusion to the most revered American blockbuster film franchise ever. It is a laughable dog shit failure. I don't the the whole way that they executed Chewbacca's death, I'm doing oh. air quotes right now, like it was an insult with showing him die and then die. five seconds later showing him like still alive. And then the rest of the cast is like, we got to go fucking avenge Chewbacca. Like they, so we <laughs> know sad. there's no stakes here and they don't know. It's like, that's bad movie yeah, so making. That's, so I think that that's the heart of it is that they have like, the yips you know like that's the best mm-hmm. way to describe it they get up to the plate they're in the mlb they're a fucking hall of fame player and they're like wait how do i swing this fucking bat like they've completely yeah. psyched themselves out they are going to announce a film in a few weeks as be said damon lindelof is responsible for my favorite show of all time so i have no qualms with him. lost that said, and he also wrote. No, not, I know, I know, I know. You're talking about the leftovers. He, he <laughs> Prometheus, which is frankly one of the gnarliest space films, sci-fi yeah. films I've seen in my entire life. So, like, look, I think that that's a good starting point. I think that they have to get something on the board for, for the sake of like Disney stock. That's more of a B <laughs> thing than me. We will get to that if and when they ever do announce the next film. Real quick, Kate, I want to talk to you because I think I think you're the only one who's watched the show. John Bernthal is returning as Punisher in the MCU. B, did you see a show or no? I watched the first season of Punisher and I didn't like it, so I didn't watch season two. Oh, there's two seasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've not seen either. Kate? Yeah, I, I have also only seen the first season. This was when, like, Netflix, I, I think the second season was one of those things where they're in that weird era where they were making them but not marketing them because they knew it was like coming to an end so it's like fucking put it out but uh i think everyone can agree if you've seen daredevil at least you know he's great i've seen him in that yeah and so he's awesome and he's he's the thing you want to have and uh someone (coughs) excuse me um put in something on Twitter of, of like a comment where he was like, I don't want to come back if it's just going to be PG 13 version of what I've been doing. He's like, I'm not trying to sanitize my shit. So we're, we're coming back and we're coming back the way we were doing it. And the Punisher TV show, probably even more hardcore than the daredevil show. I mean, there's a gym action sequence where he's like throwing weights around and like breaking people's legs and just like hitting people over the head with dumbbells. And it's just like hardcore action, good shit. So um, if they can sustain that level of brutality that's necessary for the Punisher, great in. And uh, if they can also maintain the uh, depth that they gave him, the uh, brokenness that he has, then I think this is great. But um, 
I don't I don't know what they're doing with this show. They're not bringing back Foggy and Karen, which is just well, weird. Well, that I don't think. I mean, does anyone really care? Like, or is it like a personality trait to pretend to care? Like, I don't understand why people. It's not like, the end oh, of the world Foggy to me. Yeah. Real. Like, who gives? A shit? It's not the end of the world. Yeah, I think it's weird. It's like it's like having Spider Man. I mean, they might do this with the next Spider Man movie, but it's like having <laughs> Spider Man without a best friend. You know, it's just like Daredevil oh, is just gonna okay. be on his own. I guess. I, I, I think my one thought is that just in terms of like a casting coop, great. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have him in your stable to pop up and like darker shit. Sweet. Absolutely. The first trailer for Seth Rogen's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem dropped. It is clearly into the Spider-Verse inspired. I think that, you know, if you're going to like so evidently rip their shtick, you better hit this shit out the park. So I'm hoping that they do. B, you shared some thoughts, so. Yeah, I just tweeted it. I think it looks awesome. I mean, the the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja T- Turtles actually sound and act like teenagers. Uh, it looks to really definitely kind of blend uh, clever sophomore comedy as instead of just like really baseline common denominator sophomore uh, comedy. And you know what? After Spider-Verse, we all said, why aren't more animated movies as beautifully decorated as this? And now people are like, oh, this is just a rip off of Spider-Verse. I'm like, no, this is this is uh pushing the medium forward. This is awesome. So yeah, I'm excited. I don't want to say rip off. I, I just no, I don't think of... you were saying yeah. that. But like other people are like really clowning on the trailer. And you know, I'm like that th- this yeah, is good for everybody who likes animation. Yeah. Cade. I think this is great. I'm not a huge turtles guy, generally speaking. I enjoy what I you do. Don't see. love turtles. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I like turtles. Um <laughs> No, I, I I enjoy what I see, but I'm not like a fan per se. Yeah, um, same. I don't know shit about them. <clears throat> yeah, I don't really either. What I am surprised by is Seth Rogen has garnered this like weird reputation in Hollywood of like Preacher, The Boys, Invincible, all these like crazy IPs and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger with each one yeah. to the point now where he's like a shepherd of the Turtles franchise. Where the yeah. fuck did that come from? I know he's yeah. obviously a very successful comedy person. So like you would trust him to to do that but these are like not the same so i don't know i don't know b if you have any insight into well, i mean he's been a writer producer his whole career you know he was doing script punch-ups in his early 20s before he really kind of broke out on like freaks and geeks and beyond mm. so you know he's always had this creative side and has been involved in other projects like you said this isn't necessarily straightforward comedy but he has a love of genre he's a smart guy him and his uh, writing partner and producing partner evan goldberg so you know, it's worked on the boys. Let's it's worked on Invincible, like you said. Let's keep it going. Let's see how long this streak can last. Yeah, Creed three has overperformed in terms of box office and general response. I've seen tons of like tweets and memes about it, which I think is like the true stamp of like, have you made a cult? Like I've seen more people talk about Creed three than Avatar two. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> All right, so suck on that one, Gabe. <laughs> but you have seen Creed three so thoughts oh it's it's great uh nice. i i love this franchise in general and i was like you know they're giving it over to michael b jordan which could be either a slam dunk or like really scary because he's not directed anything before but uh he has only proven to me that he is going to be one of the best actors, directors of his generation. Like mm. it is an Jesus. immediate, just like coming out of the gate. Shoot your swinging. shot there, dude. Like, no, for real. Like he's <clears throat> on, on top of like just delivering a coherent and like good story. Like the things he does directorially is so brilliant. 
Um, obviously, if you've seen Rocky and Creed, like they treat the whole franchise as like, oh, it's, you know, boxing is a metaphor for life, right? That's the whole thing. And they, you're nine movies into a franchise right now and you're doing a boxing franchise. There's not a whole lot you can do nine movies in, decades in, to like keep the boxing, the hitting fresh. He finds a way to do it both in a way that is exciting action wise, but also like visually fulfilling. And it's like, I've never seen this before. Like I've never seen anything like what you're doing right now. And you're doing it at such a high level that you would think Michael B. Jordan has directed five movies. Like hmm. he is. That's awesome. Amazing. And um, it's been talked to death about his love of anime. And that is apparent in the story and the visuals and demonstrating how you can use action to tell story, which is again, a very important part of Rocky and boxing and stuff is blending those two things so that when you get to that finale and there's a lot of pent up emotion that you can release it in the action. And he does it in a way that like, I I can't give anything away, but it's just so it's intelligent and it makes me excited for um, more. Like I was like, this could be the last movie they do in this entire series for decades and I'd be okay with it. But then I saw this and I'm like, they have more gas in the tank here. Wow. That's very exciting. All right. Awesome. Let's swing over to some Oscar predictions. This ceremony is this Sunday. I weirdly think it's, I don't know if it's going to be one of the most viewed in years because the viewership has just been going down and down and down. But I do feel like it's the most talked about that I've in a while because of Top Gun and everything everywhere all at once. And even things like Tar. Like I just feel like it has more traction than it has had in a few years. So we are going to do some predictions for the top of the line stuff. We are putting our stamps on this. All right. There are going to be receipts. Let's start with best supporting. (laughs) Let's start with best supporting actor. The nominees are Brendan Gleeson, Barry Keegan, uh, Kehue Kwan, Judd Hirsch, and Brian Tyree Henry. I think that this one's the lock of the whole show. Are we all on board with Kehue Kwan? Yes. I think so. Yeah. My boy, Bradley Gleason, get fucking robbed. Any other, <laughs> other year, I'm so bummed. I am so bummed. Uh, all right. Also, just supporting. love Brian Tyree Henry. He's going to be around for a long time in these conversations. I just love that mm-hmm. guy. True. Best Supporting Actress, Angela Bassett, Hong Chow, Carrie Condon, Stephanie Sue, and Jamie Lee Curtis. I shot this shot back in July when I saw the first trailer. I thought it was out of this world. I thought it was clear that she was like the emotional core of the film. Other than Chadwick, of course, I'm going with Angela Bassett. I mean, uh, Jimmy the Curtis has won a couple already, hasn't she? I for, know. For if this. they do that, that and would be fucking psychotic. I don't want to see that. Like, I'll love the Jamie Lee Curtis, great woman. And I think yep. she's a great actress. But I mean, That's if you're going to give it to movie. if you're going to yeah. give it to anyone in the movie, give it to Stephanie like she she's the heart of the movie like yeah, she is ridiculous. the antagonist quote unquote uh, that's the one you'd give it to but uh if i wanted to say my favorite i'd also say probably angela bassett i that's the one i would want to win i don't know if she will but i will i will stake my claim in that i i think angela <laughs> bassett is gonna win i will say take this with a huge grain of salt because i'm not a reporter anymore so i haven't followed up on this whatsoever <laughs> But uh, I did hear recently that Stephanie Tzu is in talks for a potential Star Wars role. Again, Whoa. I haven't followed up on that. Like, I don't, you know, the it, it treated as a rumor, nothing more. But I, totally I think see that, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, listen, an Oscar, an Oscar win for her, which is not out of the question, though, of course, would be unexpected given how Oscar, uh, the award season has played out thus far would 
would probably cement that negotiating power should that happen. But I, I do believe Angela Bassett will probably get it. Look, nobody loves everything all at once more than me. Actually, I'm sure there are some freaks out there who have just like made it their entire You bought one of the rocks personality. with the uh the No, I haven't, but I thought about it. <laughs> shelf I'm trying to fill up with shit. But look, man, if they give it to Jamie Lee Curtis over not only her co-star, who's better, but Angela Bassett. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna we're, lose we're losing, losing something here. Yeah. All right. Best actor, Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser, Austin Butler. Bill Nye and Paul Mescal. My heart wants Colin Farrell so bad. My nightmares tell me that it's going to be Austin Butler, but my brain tells me that Brendan Fraser is that combination of like legitimately good performance and like narrative headline type win. I I feel like since that movie hit digital, and I I know the public isn't voting on these things, so it doesn't really matter. I, but I, like the only real person that I know that have se- <laughs> has seen it said I fucking hated it. Yeah, people have like aggressively turned on this movie. I remember. Yeah. I mean, like I don't I don't necessarily know that people were rooting for it outside of Brendan Fraser, but like I remember when we started hearing about like reactions to the movie, people were like, "Oh my god, Brendan Fraser is gonna win an Oscar! It's so good!" And then I started seeing more and more clips from the movie, and I was I was excited to watch the movie, and then I was like. Oh, I'm never going to watch this. This looks awful. <laughs> like this looks really bad. Um, so I could I could see him maybe winning it if everyone can look past the movie being terrible. And I've talked before about how that's happened. Uh, so it's it's not out of the question. But uh, I will go with Austin Butler. I will say. Yeah, I mean, listen. <clears throat> the whales it was disappointing to me uh based on the talent involved brendan fraser is absolutely deserving of the award i i hope he, he wins it i think the movie's polarizing nature is going to work against him and again i i'm i wish i had like more of a uh like a hot take but i think it, austin butler's probably the odds on favorite for a reason i think it would be really cool Wait, Paul is he, is he? Uh, i think it's between uh, butler and uh brendan fraser but I think Austin Butler is going to win. I could also see a, a oh situation where Paul Mescal maybe sneaks in with, uh, you know, the preferential ballot and everything. But I, I think Austin Butler is going to take it. All right. Best actress, Michelle Yeoh, Kate Blanchett, Anna de Armas, Michelle Williams, and the infamous Andrea Riseborough. It's just seeing her name there is fucking unreal. This one was sort of a toss up at one point at the start of the year. Now I think it is a lock. Michelle Yeoh, she is a legitimate, not quite movie star, but Hollywood figure that they are going to give all the flowers to. Kate Winchett is a lock, I think. Whoa, whoa! Then place a bet on that, pal. I, I actually, I, she is currently the f- no. Uh, right now, I'm seeing on Vegas Insider, which I don't know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> They're in Vegas. Michelle Yeoh Vegas. is m- minus 125, and Kate Blanchett is minus 115. So that's oh, as wow. close to a toss-up as you could pretty much get. Yeah. Yeah, I- I'd stake my claim on Kate Blanchett, although, you know, the everything, everywhere, all at once love is very, very strong, so I wouldn't be surprised if Michelle Yeoh does get it, but I, I think... I think if I were to put money on it, I'm putting money on Kate Blanchett. I think Kate Blanchett stands the best chance of upsetting Michelle Yeoh <laughs> as yeah, the winner. Like, but that's like saying that Ali has the best chance to knock out, you know, well, I'm, I'm not whoever, claiming right? it as, yeah, a, like, of as course a, she does. <laughs> I'm not claiming it as a hot take, but I, th- I think I would be shocked if any of the other three nominees 
one. I think it has to come down oh, to those oh, yeah. two. Yeah. And I think I'm going uh, with uh, Michelle Yeoh. I, I think she's got a really strong narrative. She's got a really strong performance. Um, I will just say back to B's point, uh, according to this w- website, which I don't, I've not heard of, but it was first on Google. So I'll, I'll <laughs> take their word for it. Best actor odds, Brendan Fraser, minus 180. Austin Ooh. Butler, plus 120. Colin Farrell has completely fallen out, plus 1,400. Best oh. director. I feel like that this one is probably the hardest one. Yeah. Martin McDonough. The Daniels, Steven Spielberg, Todd Field, and Ruben Ostland. I think that everything all at once is going to get its flowers elsewhere. So I think that that takes the Daniels out. Steven Spielberg has already won this award <clears throat> twice for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. I think that takes him out. Ruben Ostland, you know, sorry, dude. He's out. <laughs> so I think that comes down to Martin McDonough, who is a academy favorite he has already won awards for his film for his films before and i think that in any other year this would probably be the best picture winner and then todd fields the tar thing i don't understand b have you seen tar i so i need to catch up on tar and women talking which i'm going to before sunday okay i don't get it so i really can't speak to it i think it seems weird until i see tar and it potentially blows my mind Maybe I'll regret these words, but for now, I think I'm going with Martin McDonough because he's a real kind of director's director. He's known for his stage plays, so I could see him sneak it in here. Tar is a very well directed movie. I mean, if you, uh, it's, it is incredibly like for as much shit in that movie, it's just like people talking about stuff I don't fucking understand. They make me feel like I'm engaged in the conversation and I'm like, yeah. You tell him, Kate. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Orchestrating shit. I don't know. Um, so I, I think that's you know something that's that speaks to something. And it's a very beautiful movie. It it's um I don't know how to describe it. It's very cold, but like you're in every shot is so well composed that uh so there's this thing in the movie for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it deals with uh this very uh, famous musical composer and one of her students uh, committed suicide. And that's a big thing that happens. There are so many shots in this movie where there is a woman or something that looks like a woman in the background and it goes completely unaddressed. They do not fucking focus on it. I just I saw a tweet today about that. And I'll say that is, is, that is creepy. It's very scary. And it's, it's, it's literally like you can, you can totally miss it. Cause I didn't notice it until someone else had told me. And then I, I went back and watched a couple scenes and I'm like, Holy shit. And it's really scary. And so that's good directing in my opinion. Um, so I'll, I'll give it to Todd field or the Daniels, because I think that's, that's one of those things where like the odds were against them. They had a low budget. They did all the VFX themselves with a very small Mm -hmm. team. And they made something full of heart and like did the thing where they made an original movie with a big concept and competed directly against Marvel in its own genre, basically. And mm. won, arguably, not, maybe not financially, but I think critically. Mm. Great so point. That's something. See? I think it comes down to the Daniels and Spielberg. I actually disagree <laughs> with you guys a, a lot on what you said. I mean, obviously, everything everywhere is the odds on favorite for the night, you know, in terms of a lot of different categories. 
And I listen, obviously, I have not spoken to all 10,000 plus Academy members, but I have spoken to enough people where there's a lot of support for Spielberg here. I think particularly since uh, this and unfortunately, West Side Story didn't do well financially. And because this is uh, tangentially involved with like the love of cinema, even though the movie is much more in a positive way, cynical than that. Mm -hmm. uh, There is a strong, strong undercurrent current of support for what is a very beautifully directed film and i think i think i'm gonna go with spielberg because it would be a capstone that his most personal work in a career of personal work uh would land him his third best director not uh, a trophy which would tie him with john ford who is the kind of the catalyst at the end of the movie for the rest of his career that's poetic that's very poetic i will just say b if you believe that i would suggest putting a bet on it because the daniels are currently favored at minus 1800 steven spielberg comes in at plus 850 todd field plus 2900 Martin McDonough plus thirty-five hundred uh, Oscars. I mean, I'm sure you could find a book that has I've I've tried to bet on no it before. It's 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 very and states. Yeah, my offsite, my offshore <laughs> book. Uh, my or uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I saw a book <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have something that I, I'm not going to talk about. I saw a I saw a book that had it like. That was like six weeks ago, and it's not been back since because I think the other awards that have been given out shape the race to such an extent that some books might not want to carry those odds. Yeah. Uh, all right, finally, best picture. <clears throat> Ten of them, right? Yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front, The Banshees of Inishir and Elvis, Avatar, The Way of the Water, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Fablemans, Top Gun, Maverick, Tar, Triangle of Sadness, and Woman Talking. Man, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Have you told me... 10 months ago that this movie would be the prohibitive favorite to win best picture man if you if you put like a grand on that you would have made silly money so yeah i mm-hmm. think this is the home run lock of the night oh, my heart wants to go with avatar no i'm joking i i yeah. do really love that movie but um i don't know it's i i guess like i will i will go with everything everywhere all at once just because it does feel like everything around it is propelling that momentum towards it um i'd also like to say top gun maverick but i know it's not gonna happen so yeah all right i'll say everything everywhere all at once i I think this is an instance where the favorite is going to come through we've had a lot of a lot of surprises recently you got to remember that um man i i can't of course i can't remember the name now but uh Oh yeah, the the power of the dog for Netflix, Benedict oh, Cumber matches. That was the odds on favorite into that night. And then Coda, mm-hmm. yes, had a, a momentum splurge over the last three, four weeks of award season. But you know, that that was technically an upset according to the odds. And we've had a, quite a few of those in recent years. But I do think this time the odds on favorite everything everywhere does win. And I'll and I'll kind of flip over to a to a another hot take i bet top gun maverick goes home with zero oscars and that's not an indictment on wow, the film which i suck. love but i'm i'm predicting that it doesn't win anything that sucks yeah that does suck <laughs> uh, all you, right brandon <laughs> oh that just i mean you know what like i think you might be right and that just sucks uh all right let's take a quick break when we come back the last of us episode eight 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Last of Us, Episode 8. I thought I wrote down the name of the episode, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> we'll pull that sucker up real quick. I thought I had it too. It's when we are in need. Ellie leaves Joel, who is still recovering from his knife wound, to hunt for food. After shooting a deer, she tracks the wounded animal and encounters a preacher, David, and his fellow hunter, James. She trades her deer for penicillin, but David reveals uh, the man who stabbed Joel was a member of his group. Ellie, all freaked out, leaves to go back and treat Joel. So this, obviously, we didn't get to discuss the show last week. I think that's okay because it's a flashback. But what I do think is important is that how well this show has been able to, in like layman's film terms, illustrate how Ellie's experiences are informing what she's doing now. So as we're like, her losing what was, albeit a young life, the love of her life, that has pushed her towards the light. Instead of giving up on Joel and running away from caring about someone deeper, she went out and literally like risked her life to find help. Whereas I think that's the opposite of Joel, who has once he lost his daughter, he went inwards completely and probably only didn't kill himself. I don't know, because he's a God-fearing man. Like, I don't really, but if something were to take his life, I doubt he would put up a fight much. Even though they aren't connected in terms of actual plot, last episode so in tune with what we saw this week because of how well it informs the choice. I mean, she gets on fucking horseback and starts shooting a fucking um, gun like a cowboy just to, you know, give this dude a chance. So I think that's really, really powerful in terms of how they sort of balance how Joel went one way, she went one way when they both experienced a life trauma, but now they're starting to sort of meet in the middle. Don't forget also, he was ready to give up on her like just a couple weeks ago when he was going to leave with Tommy. He was going to be like, I can't do it. So, and his whole thing was I'm old. I'm kind of succumbing to my weaknesses as an, as an older guy. And Ellie's a child who has killed one person before this, I think two, maybe. Uh, you can count on one hand. That's the point. She is not experienced to take on a cult of cannibals yet. And uh, yet she does it very fearlessly and without question. So, yeah. I tweeted this and I'm just going to repeat it here. A few prestige dramas would entrust the uh, such a young actor with being the main creative propulsive propulsive thrust of an episode let alone in back-to-back episodes and it's so easy to do that with bella ramsey because they are so talented beyond their years as we saw in game of thrones and then i had a bunch of people in my in my replies being like well if you just bothered to look up the last of us you'd know she's the main character of the video game and it's like dude shut up one, I didn't play the video game. Two, as a former critic, I don't need to always look at the source yeah. material to inform my opinion on, on the actual thing itself. And three, the show has very much deliberately positioned and treated Joel as the main point of view character. So switching it is a cool narrative detour that 
reinforces our love of Ellie. And again, Bella Ramsey just knocks it out of the damn park. So get out of my mentions with that bullshit. Those people are also, I think, trying to sound smarter than they are because Joel is absolutely the main character of the first game. And it, the oh, the overarching story of The Last of Us is about Ellie, but he is the vehicle for the story to happen and is therefore the protagonist. But All right, boom. Kate approved. <laughs> I was right. You're wrong. Get out of here. Um, no, you're completely right, though. I mean... Um, this isn't a spoiler because it's openly marketed this way. The second game is Ellie is the protagonist in the second game. So um, they are kind of preparing audiences. And this happens in the game as well, where uh, the winter section, you play as Ellie through the game. It's a switch up where you do play as her and she is the char- the protagonist for that section, at least. Um, so they are preparing audiences to be like, hey, next time around, if you weren't sold on Bella Ramsey, we're getting you there now. And I think they have succeeded in shutting people the fuck up and making them understand Bella has got this shit on lock. And um, I'm very excited to see what Bella is capable of when it's basically uh, they're leading the show. And I can see how the POV changes in the game are going to lend themselves very well to like the long form narrative of TV. Mm -hmm. The next day, Ellie discovers David and his men have followed her. As soon as I saw that, and I get that she is like a teenage girl, but I'm like, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I feel like Joel would have taught her enough about tracking to know that, like, she's literally drawing a map to yeah. where they are. Yeah. I, I turned uh, to my girlfriend while watching. I'm like, she should walk backward. They should walk backwards so that the, the footprints are, mm. are in the wrong direction, right. technically. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. I never thought about that. Oh, you would die in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the next day, she discovers David and his men have followed her to seek vengeance on Joel. She flees to draw them away, but is captured at David's camp. He reveals he has been feeding his group human flesh. Meanwhile, Joel awakens and tortures some of David's men and telling him Ellie's whereabouts. Kate, is it fair to say that this is one of the most famous parts of the game? Yeah, I would say so. Um Joel's this is where in the game if you have not gotten it by this point that Joel is a fucking brutal machine that will kill anybody just through playing as him now you're kind of seeing it in a cut scene where he is torturing people and it's very interesting so I've, I've been playing the second game now <clears throat> and in the in the game he just tortures them to get the information out of them in, in the first one in the second game there's a section very early on where uh, Ellie stumbles upon something that Tommy did with two guys in Seattle. And he basically has these two guys tied up in a room and one is laying down and one's sitting up and he has the guy who's sitting or laying on the ground, draw what he needs to know. He, he makes the guy draw the information out and then he goes to confirm it with the guy sitting in the chair. So they've applied that same thinking of, one person has to tell the the right information. If they don't, they're lying because the other person will tell them what's. Am I explaining this seen, correctly? <laughs> before, yeah. And who uh, did this before? Was it them or? It was Joel went into the cabin with the old people right. and yep. was like, yep. "Here, do yep. this." And it was a lot yep. like less scary. And now you're seeing yeah. Yeah, what yeah, it's yeah. really like and where he yeah. learned this from. That was my point. It's cool. What do you think Joel's body count is oh, like in the last numbers. 20 years? Just crazy numbers. Honestly, though, like, see, like, try to like guesstimate. Uh, 
I, 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 uh, man, north of 50. Absolutely. Yeah. And I understand circumstances dictate a lot of that for survival, but he is a mass murderer and whether or not, you know, we, we want to excuse it. And in, in that scenario, I do torturing is immoral and mm-hmm. I get it. It's for the good cause, but you know, Joel's a, a bad guy who is capable of good, not a, not necessarily a good guy, you know, who does occasionally a bad thing. And I think that's interesting. And I think that's worth uh, pointing out when he puts the guy, the knife in the guy's kneecap and then he twists it you can hear the kneecap like breaking off. And it is one of the most disgusting small little sounds. If you have the right sound system, you're going to be like, <laughs> it's great. It's so smart. Like how to do that. On yeah, demand. exactly. He is, it shows he, he's done this before. Well, he was in the army, right? That's Tommy. No, but, that was the brother, yeah. But they've <laughs> seen enough shit up? together, I think. Is Where the did idea. he pick up these survival skills? Probably with Tommy, because there was a period of time between Texas and Boston where I'm sure they were up to some shit. And he's, he said, you know, we had to do some crazy shit to survive. And I've probably killed some innocent people. I will just say on like the flip side of this sort of like the uncorking of joel's ruthlessness i do think that that is a like you know how like that corny quote like love and hate or like two sides of the same coin or some mm-hmm. shit or, or there's like a thin line you know i think the reason that he's back in murder mode is because ellie is in peril yeah, yeah. That he's not in that fucking he you know he's not in that mode for his own sake he's in that sake for her and i think that it that that happened that clicked in him like more so than shit than her sewing him up and more so than her like literally cuddling him. But the moment where she runs down there to like coach him up and gas him up, be like, look, people are coming. I'm going to try to fucking lead them away. If they come down, you know what I mean? Fight. That is like the master becomes the te- or Sorry, the student becomes the teacher moment. It is sort of the ultimate full circle of, pro- of probably what it meant to him to have a daughter to teach her these skills of what it means to survive sort of for her, like to run downstairs and not have shit on lock because she is in serious danger, but for Mm -hmm. her to sound like she has shit on lock, you know what I mean? For her Mm -hmm. to have a plan of action and to execute that to like protect him, I think is unlock something. Well, correction. I know has unlocked something that is going to make the character more divisive going forward and that's why i think pedro pascal's casting is so key because you know i've said a few times i have rewatched breaking bad multiple times the first time i was like team walter white and then the second time i was like you know this guy could be kind of a dick and then the third time i was like oh my god this guy is a fucking uh you know a serial killing mass murdering psychopath so i feel like the cult of personality that comes with pedro sort of counterbalances the dark choices that this character is going to make and is going to give audience a reason to root for him until the bitter end. Well, I think yeah. the interesting thing is, so when they were talking about the last of his adaptation for the longest time, people were like, Hugh Jackman should play him, right? Because he looks like Joel in the game. And uh, Well, he did. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, oh, I, Logan. Yeah, I Logan. guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, where I was going to go with it was... Um, prisoners where he has a child that gets kidnapped and it brings out that fatherly primal rage where he kidnaps paul dano and fucking tortures the shit out of him and um you 
we all like Hugh Jackman. He's a very lovely looking man and, and says nice things and is very charming. And, and then you see him in that, you're like, huh, that's scary. And, and <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, and that's, yeah. that's kind of where we go to in this it's episode like of Pedro during, Pascal. During the day when your clothes are on your chair, it just looks yeah. like clothes on a chair. But at night, it's like, I'm pretty sure a ghoul is sitting <laughs> yeah, right now. Exactly. <laughs> and just quickly, the briefest public service announcement for anyone who might be planning life-saving action Two shots of penicillin. Do not do that to you after a mortal stab wound like that. <laughs> Don't plan on being back in action after 24 hours because I promise you it's going to go bad. That was just some movie magic right there. Well, it's too late for me. All right. Just, uh, <laughs> David and James attempt to kill Ellie, but she kills James and escapes. David hunts her down, but she overpowers him and kills him with a meat cleaver. Yeah. It seemed directly from the game. Uh, Joel finds a traumatized Ellie outside the Colts burning community center and comforts her. I remember the diner on fire meat cleaning scene, but is the way she escapes directly from the game as well? Yeah, pretty much this whole whole thing is how it goes down. Um, the I only mean, she's a badass, but what a bunch of idiots! The, the to blow that scenario. The, the biggest difference is Joel comes in in the game and. St- like kind of stops her at a certain point like she's already like fucking really messed him up but he's like hey like enough like it's okay i'm here right and now in this she stops and she just kind of walks out and he's there which i I think is a very interesting change for a lot of reasons bella ramsey just breaking (laughs) fingers being awesome (laughs) Um, again, going back to setting the stage for part two, where Ellie is just a brutal motherfucker in that game. Yeah. And, uh, and when, but to be clear, they jump a few years, right? So she goes from being like 14 to being like 18, which is a yeah. big fucking difference in the games. Yeah. There's a four year yeah. time jump. So, so she and Joel have been together, like as like this father daughter dynamic for like yes. four years. Yes. Well, it, it, once part two starts. Yeah. No, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's interesting. <clears throat> um, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot that happens but uh, yeah Ellie is a primal fucking freak in the second game and puts on some fucking weight too and she's just she's just not she's she's, and we saw way back in like what episode one or two where Joel beats the security guard Fedra officer to death to to more or less protect her even though he's not even like at that emotional point yet and that activates something in her. She mm-hmm. likes that, you know? Yeah. She's never had someone do that. So that has always been lurking within her. And, you know, you brought up Walter White, Eric, and, and me and my brother always talk about how in Breaking Bad, Walter White didn't turn bad. The cancer liberated what was always there mm. within him. And I think you have that a bit with with Joel and Ellie and, and essentially David's creepy speech. Like, do you have a violent heart? Like, oh, yeah. And I think it's about channeling that for positive ways and to, to protect people. And that's the kind of like the lesson learned, which is not easy to do in the post-apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, he fed people to his people. So <laughs> he's a crazy person. Uh, like, at the... look, like, and, and I, like I've, I've seen and heard complaints, both legit and from like the anti-woke crowd who are, who are so far lost in their own sauce. I don't even think they know what woke means at this point. 
But I do understand those complaints, right? We're talking about a show that has a very famous sort of version of a zombie. We haven't seen much of those zombies. But why do you want them, right? You want them for the action scenes. Mm -hmm. The last 30 minutes of this show are pure white knuckle shit. There's plenty of action. There's gunfights. There's horse riding. There is like more stakes with humans over zombies too. They're just faceless fodder. There's there's an escape scene. There's meat cleaving. There's all sorts of things. (laughs) So like, I, I, you know, if you want to watch hours of zombie hordes, there's about 17 seasons of walking dead and bunch of spinoffs. (laughs) 70% of them are fucking terrible. So go ahead and watch those. But it's like, I, can understand the desire to see more clickers and bloaters and zombies because that shit's thrilling, right? Like, I remember in episode seven when they do the slow reveal of like what zombie is going to pop up to kill them and you just see him fucking planted into the wall and his eyes open. I'm like, all right, yeah, this is fucking sick. Of course I want more. But I don't think that the show is suffering because of it. I think that it's just going a different route. Uh, yeah, the, during the sequence in the game when Ellie meets David, uh, they talk over the deer. James goes to go get the pen- the medicine, and then, uh, basically a horde of infected finds Ellie and David, and they have to fight together. And that's how they kind of earn their trust. Is there's kind of like a like, oh, okay, right. you're not so bad, Ellie. You're very capable, David. I can maybe trust you to have my back. And then after they settle down, the he does the whole thing, like you know, you fucked up my friend, didn't you? <laughs> and, and that whole thing, but uh. That's interesting. Yeah. So I, it's, but you can cut it and I don't really think you lose anything. Like really, I I think you lose just an action sequence at that point. Um, I, I like that the idea that the infected overcame society and is now out there and they have to be very cautious of it. But even I'm trying to think in the second game, there are almost, you know, there are, there's definitely infected. I remember infected. There are, there's a disgusting monster in the game, but I would say the enemy of the second game is you are fighting humans almost the entire time. Like it is a larger threat than the infected in the first game. So whatever, I don't care. (laughs) All right. So given that this whole episode was basically a Bella Ramsey appreciation segment, we don't need to really revisit that. I will just say the moment where she sort of lures that pervert in and then hits him with the like, I, Kate, I'm sure you, you know the exact words were, but she was like, so you could tell him that I'm the one that broke your fucking finger. Like, That's when she tells him her name. She's yeah. like, my name is Ellie. Tell him yeah. that Ellie broke your fucking finger. Like, yeah. Having the wherewithal to set that up yeah. after being bashed in the face. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Like, if you aren't sold at this point, I don't know what's going to sell you. So, all right, that's going to do it for not this week's episode because we'll be back tomorrow talking Mando. But today's, uh, follow the podcast if you haven't already at Postcred Pod. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you would be so kind. Follow Brandon at great underscore Caspi and all the great work he's doing at Parrot Analytics. Follow Cade at Cade underscore Onder and all the work he's doing at comicbook.com. I'll see you both virtually tomorrow brandon i'll see you in irl tomorrow for some john wick four i've been hearing unbelievable things the fact that they figured out a way to 
pull off a three-hour runtime because in the theater I did feel like chapter three ran a bit long in the tooth. And now I've sort of talked. Now I've talked myself into three being the best one. Mm. So that's a different conversation. <laughs> but uh, I have an interview later this month with John Wick director Chad Stileski. So keep your eyes tuned for that. We will talk to you tomorrow. Bye. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.